get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to, or good morning, good God, I'm so used to saying evening, good morning and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. It is the first day of June 2014. I'll be live here for the next hour, so thank you so much for making me a part of your day, and you know, if you're listening to this um, not live, then thank you so much for making me a part of your day wherever you are and whenever you are. As always, we are here to not only try to get to the bottom of things, but also to shift the paradigm into a conversation that really matters rather than the political football that we always hear about. Whether it's through the mainstream media, whether it's through the alternative media, which I have a bone to pick with alternative media as well. Because what I have found and what um, Josh and and other researchers and I have talked about to great length is um, the alternative media has turned into... Not the truth. It hasn't turned into to actual fact. What it's turned into is an alternative story to the mainstream story, which is not what it's about. It's not about it's not about the alternative story to the mainstream, somewhat propagandized, somewhat um, PG-rated version of life. It's supposed to be about truth. It's supposed to be about getting to the real grassroots of the issues. No matter how nasty and dark it may seem, no matter how much it might scare you as an individual, we have to push through our fears, grow up collectively, not as you know the collective, but individually grow up and face the fact that there are going to be some inherent risk in the, you know, inhabiting this planet. This planet is a very dynamic and crazy place changes all the time, weather system changes, volcanic eruptions, tectonic plate shifts that cause earthquakes, you name it. This place is bonkers. But we have this idea and this perception that the world's nice and stable, and it's just the humans that are causing the problem, and that we're the ones that are getting this whole cycle out of whack. And for those of you that want to see a deeper dive into this kind of philosophy and theory, I would uh, recommend going to my website, wearenotcattle.net, checking out the documentary series all watched over by Machines of Loving Grace because the rhetoric and the technology and all of this um, this idea that we can be one with the machines and the machines will will help us to run our lives and will help us you know to to better our lives has already been a concept back in the 1960s and early 70s that was deployed. And it was basically taken over by governmental agencies in order to steer ideas for the planet and, once again, control the population. And I know that that sounds absolutely crazy and ludicrous, but here's a, here's a good um, barometer for you, anybody. For those of you that think that I might be full of malarkey and that I think that the government's got way too much oversight over what we do, the CIA and the um, NSA and all of your alphabet soup agencies in general, I would challenge you to do this. Think of the most outlandish conspiracy that you could ever think of. Aliens invading you know, North Carolina, whatever. File a Freedom of Information Act request 
to the Department of Defense, which used to be called the Department of War, so there's already the wordplay there, and see what happens. Because as we're moving through this cycle, and as I'm beginning to grow and, and understand and, and intellectually try to comprehend what, what happened here in the United States and what else is happening, happening around the world and why it's happening, it's always an important question to ask why, but you just can't stop there. You have to find out who, and that's where it gets really fun. What I found is that um, as you start digging deeper, a lot of these issues that we're running into have been psychological operations run on the public. And once again, I know that sounds bonkers, but uh, Josh and I have some good stuff going. Josh um, particularly filed a Freedom Information Act request that I won't talk about uh, in detail, but um, it said it was going to be time delayed because there was a lot to, uh, to go through. They had to connect to a lot of different agencies. They had to go through a lot of different uh, avenues in order to provide the information that Josh was requesting. And then it came out a couple of weeks later that um, there was a big hoopla about what he, um, what he actually requested. So we're on the ball here, and we're trying to get to not only the bottom of things, but we're trying to give you a real sense of what's going on in our society. Now, I had a great interview with Tom Campbell on Friday, and that will be airing sometime. Um, you can check it out, the full interview on YouTube. I would highly recommend you go there and watch it, even though there is some latency with the video because he lives in, in Birmingham, and, and I live here in Atlanta, so the Skype connection isn't the best. But you get the gist of the conversation, and the conversation was very great after about a um, – I would say after about minute 50 – 55, we turned into a completely different, um, completely different, um, wait a minute, my friend said the feed went down, hold on a second. Okay, I wonder what's going on here, I hope it's not the usual shenanigans, said the feed went down, okay, so I'm going to keep typing because I'm, or I'm going to keep talking because I am recording this, so I'll just put it up. On the website after it's done, let's see, is it? Oh, sorry, back in the house stuff, everyone. Um, that's really on. God, can I run a show? I mean, I'm I'm hardwired into my router. I don't understand what the problem is. Can I run a show that doesn't get absolutely debacled every time? Anyway, so moving on as if nothing was going wrong because once again this is being recorded. And the reason I'm recording it is because, God, these issues have been popping up and cropping up everywhere. So, back to what I was saying. Good gosh, what was I saying? Oh, yes. The, um, as you start digging into the info and you start trying to understand reality, because that's where we really need to all lie. We don't need to lie in these, in these fantasies. We don't need to lie in this idea that um, for some reason the U.S. government is completely different from every other government that's ever existed on the planet, and we're the good guys, you know, G.I. Joe, Yojo, all that stuff, because what we're seeing now, and as it trickles into society but then gets squashed by the mainstream media, is that we've got some real big problems. Number one, we're not treating our veterans right, which any, anybody in our society that understands the, the value of our veterans and what they do and how they do it and whether you believe that their wars are just or not, that's irrelevant. The fact that we're not taking care of these people and that we're putting them in a position where they would rather end their life than sit and wait around for care, 
that's unacceptable. But then we just go along with it because it's not something that's in, in front of us, and we just kind of accept it because it doesn't affect our personal ideas and our personal bubble. So that's where it gets really confusing because at the end of the day, people, it, it's all about us helping each other, whether it's helping your neighbor across the street, whether it's helping somebody else make a good decision on, on a product that they buy, whether it's you know helping somebody like what happened to my wife and I yesterday. We were driving down the road, and this guy just swerves out of control and on 85 North and runs into somebody, and... We stopped because we saw the accident. Nobody else stopped. There were 15 other cars. Nobody, one guy pulled over to the median, saw that I was there, and then took off, which is illegal, by the way. But, hey, who cares? We're not keeping score here because that would actually mean that you would have to care about other people to sit around and wait to see if everybody's okay and also give your report of what happened. It's just part of being a good citizen, and I know that that's very status of me, but that's also part of being a good human being is doing something like that. And I think that we're really losing that, and it's getting very frustrating for those of us that really want to keep our humanity. And that gets back to the point of not taking care of the veterans. Those are human beings, people. Those aren't just toy soldiers that you can, you know, that you can go out with a magnifying glass and burn them up and nothing happens. Those people have families. Those people have grandparents. Those people have parents, children, brothers, sisters. You need to get off your ass and find out why this is all happening. Number one, it's happening because we're broke. Number two, because the VA t- treats these people like absolute trash. And for those of you that don't know, I had um, – there was a gentleman here in Atlanta that was mistreated by the VA that actually had um, swine flu. And they sent him home and said, ah, oh, you're fine. They sent him home. And then he came back a couple days later and said, no, I'm still sick. Sent him home again, went to a real hospital like, oh, my God, you got the swine flu. Oh, first they beat him up before they sent him home. So there you go. And that's the kind of system that we're dealing with now. And as we move forward, if we don't stand up to this stuff, if we don't stand up to, to protect other human beings, you're just as fallible as the next person. You are just as ripe for the picking for this operation as anyone else. And that's what we need to change. Because if we don't change that, if we don't change the fact that we care about each other, then we're lost. I don't care what your views are. Communism, collectivism, um, socialism. It's – oh, thank you. All right, so we got the stream back up. It doesn't matter what your political ideology is. If you don't take care of the person next to you, then your life is just as invaluable as that one that you just let slip away because, remember, they're thinking, oh, it's not me. That's somebody else, somebody else's problem. So that's all I have to say on those fronts. And that was very frustrating to go through that yesterday. And the guy turned out to be okay, and the guy just left and fled the scene, like, fled the scene, excuse me, grammar. Um, fled the scene, and, you know, we wrote down the license plate and all this stuff. And once again, very statist of me. But also, dude, don't damage somebody else's property and then, and then jam and think that nobody's going to, to um, follow up on you. So anyway. Let's get into the task at hand. I don't even know what the episode was about today. I did, oh, the Bilderberg International News and NSA Revelations. Let's start with the NSA because it's a it's a you know an hour show, and I do want to give the the Brave Stadium its just due because it is really a microcosm of what's happening in society. When I talk about the New World Order, people, and don't think put on your tinfoil hat, think about this. 
super large, elitist, multi-billionaire families looking to collectivize the planet under corporations and corporate control and circumventing the global system of judicial rights, property rights, civil rights, and your human rights in order to create a, an environment where they would control almost everything, the means of production, it's fascism. It's ultra what would they what would be the best way to describe it? I mean it's very fascistic, but I can't even I can't even describe it. So you have to give it a name. You have to you have to give it a name when corporations take over the precedent of the human beings and they can actually push the human ideas and also the motivations and drivers of humanity, push them aside and say, No, we have to do what's in the corporate interest. And here in America, it is literally like looking at 1917 Russia. And if you study Russia, if you understand what happened in Russia when the collectivization of the farms, that's exactly what's happening here. When you see all these things that happen, and then you call it out and say, holy crap, this is like Stalinistic Russia in 1917. This is absolutely crazy. We can't do this. We can't sell off our land to foreign, to foreign governments. We can't have foreign contracts with governments to come in here with their corporations to build stuff and take it away from the local economy because that's what we've done to the third world. And look at them. They did so great because if you study things like Confessions of an Economic Hitman or you also look at other reference books where it talks about the globalization of poverty and how all of this stuff plays into one another. And I'm kind of digressing a little bit, but this is very important for you guys to understand. You are in, whether you believe it or not, you are in a battle for the children and the children's children that are coming. And if we don't get wise to the game, we're all going to be screwed. And your children are going to be screwed, and your children's children are going to be screwed. And I know that that sounds very doom and gloom, but I'm not sitting up here like Alex Jones and telling you that nukes are going to go off in the next six months or something like that. I'm just telling you the way that it is. And I'm explaining to you the program and the modus operandi. And if people have listened to the show before, yes, triple reverse flea flicker touchdown. And what does that mean? If you watch sports, the analogy is if you run a play and the play scores every time, especially in football, if I could just run one play and every play the defense is totally confused and I score every time, why would you deviate from the play? Well, they don't. They don't deviate. They might run a different formation if we are using a football analogy. They might you know, line up differently, but the play is exactly the same. And then when somebody in the stands like myself says, hey, triple reverse flea flicker touchdown is coming, and then it happens, and then people look at me and say, how did you know that? Well, if you look at history, if you look at how the robber barons do things, if you look at how they will position front companies, they will position – Yes, men. They will position people to, to tout a narrative, to basically psyop the public into believing one thing when behind the scenes something completely different is going on. So let's get into the Brave Stadium really quick, and then I'll, I'll touch on the NSA stuff because i got a lot of stuff on that at the very end. Okay, this is local, so, but it also has big global international um, kind of ramifications. So the, so, the, so the Brave Stadium was built in, I want to say, 1995 because – actually, it wasn't built in 1995. They were erecting the Brave Stadium in about 1994, 1995 because it was going to be the stadium for the Summer Olympic Games that were held here in 1996, so almost 20 years ago. Man, it's crazy. It's 20 years. Anyway, 
side issue. So the stadium gets built, they use it for the games, and they take off half of the stadium and turn it into a baseball stadium. Sounds pretty good, right? All right, great, effective use of your property. Well done, Atlanta. So now all this stuff starts coming out about we need a new stadium. We need to move this, um, we need to move this stadium out of, um, out of the downtown area because it's getting congested, yada, yada, yada. We're making up all kinds of excuses. We need something new. So then there's this proposal for about a $300 million stadium, which the Braves are going to front about $250 million. But the taxpayers, yay, good old taxpayers, because we don't have a down economy or anything, are going to get the flip the bill for the other 300000 or $300 million. Excuse me, did I say 300000 I meant two hundred. Uh, anyway, I'll get into the article, and then I'll kind of break it down as we go. So anyway, let me just read the article. This is out of Deadspin, and, um, and uh, Barry um, Pajeski, good job, Barry, if you were, um, you were actually at this event. And this is very, very, very pertinent. Okay. Oh, here we go. Opponents barred from speaking as Cobb County approves Brave Stadium. Once again, if you understand how the global system works, they don't let you have a voice. They have secret insider deals that are basically already done, and then when you go – to these, you know, speaks or um, open mics or citizen communications, it's already rigged. You're, you're done. They've already made the backroom deals. Everybody's behind it. They're going to let you say your piece, and then they're going to vote, and you're just basically hosed. <clears throat> so here we go. This is the point where you would tip your hat to the Braves in acknowledgement that they have won. Even at the time when politicians and taxpayers were getting weary about public funding stadiums, the Braves just walked away with nearly $400 million. Excuse me. Once again, I lowballed it because reality is actually crazier than what I will portray on uh, radio. Nearly $400 million from Cobb County, Georgia for a new ballpark, which we don't need, by the way, but that's okay. Cobb commissioners voted last night 5-0 to zero to, devote or to devote $392 million to building a new Braves stadium to open in 2017 with the operating ag- agreement – allowing the county to borrow up to $397 million. Good job. So somebody's banking group made out on this. And the Braves will chip in another $230 million. So you see how it works. The taxpayers pay almost double what the actual franchise that if you want a new stadium, you should probably pay for it. That's just, Hell, if I want a new car, I've got to pay for it. I can't go and get government financing and say, hey, I would like this $20,000 car. I'll give you five for it, and then the government will pick up the other fifteen. How's that sound? Good deal for me. Anyway, moving on. If you attended the vote, you might have gotten the impression that everybody was for it. Twelve attendees spoke, and all twelve were in favor of the ballpark. That's because the commissioners only allowed twelve speaking spots, and the pro ballpark people, quote, business interests, had their supporters lined up to nab the speaking slots about five hours before the meeting, which was probably held around five o'clock, if I would um, assume, but... Once again, that would actually know how the world works and know that people are still working and that people would typically need to get out of work and make their way over there so that they could speak. Once again, this is just a stage vestigial deal, and this is why I hate big politics. And this is why I don't participate in politics anymore because it's all a screw job. Several critics of the deal made their way towards the front of the commissioner asked if they'd be given the opportunity to speak. For a minute, the scene turned tense when they were – 
when they would not relent from the floor. Yeah, because they don't want to be gang raped by $400 million of their tax money. I mean, I would be pissed too. They were critical of the process and limiting the floor to a dozen speakers for such an important vote. Absolutely. But you know, once again, they're going to rig it in their favor. So continuing, one of those critics, Ben Williams, the, the Cobb chapter for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, afterward accused the commissioner of ignoring the voice of the people. Yeah, why would you? I mean, government already does whatever the hell it wants anyway. Why would the local government be any different? Because you guys never do anything. You never push back. This is why government runs over you, because you don't push back. You don't speak out. You just say, oh, well, I'll go to work on Monday, whatever. Or you just go, I'm just going to go watch some CNN or something, and then I'll just, you know, I'll go talk to my friends at the water cooler about it tomorrow. The key, people, is to get out and do things. I know action takes a lot of time. Well, time is very precious to human beings because it is the limited commodity that we have. But if you don't invest your time in the places where it's going to make a difference – you are going to become a slave, and welcome to your modern serfdom. Continuing, I'm man, I'm on a preacher podium here. I don't know if it's because it's 11 o'clock on Sunday or what. I don't know. Another critic, Rich Pellegrino, said that the process was stacked against the people who couldn't leave work early enough to spend the hours waiting in line to speak. Pellegrino, with the Citizens for Governmental Transparency, man, that sounds like an evil organization said that he arrived about an hour before the meeting and was too late to get on the list to speak. He said, we're working people. We're not for corporate welfare. Oh, really? Hmm. I wonder what this is all about. It's a slap in the face. Yeah, because, once again, we don't do anything. Cobb County Commission Chairman Tim Lee said that the rules were, quote, followed in the best interest of everyone in attendance, which means they were followed in the corporate interest. Oh, and continuing... Those against the stadium deal were forcibly removed from the courtroom. Yes, because in America, you do not get to speak your First Amendment, and especially if you're going to get gang raped by a bunch of international corporations, and you don't want your tax dollars to go to them, and you would actually like to see your tax dollars go in your pocket, you're a terrorist. The meeting was little within two hours. The commission was approving everything without debating or taking questions. Yes, because that's a free country. The Braves have been masters in brokering deals with no dissent, and it goes on and on and on. Funding secured through creative taxation, which means, once again, bending you over a table and talking to you very sweetly while they do it. Specifically chosen to avoid requiring public, public referendum. Hmm, imagine that. Cobb County residents were never allowed to vote on giving $370 million, $397 million to a baseball team. The actual vote on the operating agreement was only announced after 6 p.m. on Friday before Memorial Day. Concerned parties had just a long weekend to examine the details of the massive deal. This is how everything is done in Washington. People have to understand this, and we have to do something about it. Whether you do something within the system or you do something outside the system, you have to do something because this is getting crazy town. And once again, it's because nobody's paying attention. And we all need to start paying attention and holding these people accountable and firing people and doing these things called recalls. Look into those. If somebody goes to Washington and violates the Constitution and violates it up and down, back and forth, you can actually vote to have them recalled and have another vote. So if you get a tyrant in there, you can actually pull them out. But once again, that would actually have to be knowing the law, and we would have to spend time, once again, the big T word, time to invest and understand how to get these crooked jerks out of Washington. 
Continuing, and the deal still contains questions and landmines. The Cobb County has committed just $14 million to transportation improvements that would likely cost 10 times that. Oh, yes, so we'll probably have another referendum where the other Cobb County residents can vote to have another $140 million jumped on top of them because, you know what, it's, you know, it's the Braves. Come on. Um, you know, it's America's team. You know, be a team player. They're owned by Disney, but that doesn't matter. The bond measures released at the first time on Friday night revealed that the Braves do not actually guarantee that the $400 million in private development around the stadium that they have been touting, rendering one of the project's biggest selling points in the imaginary long... Oh, imagine that. They're not going to give it to local businesses. Oh. This is how it happens, people. This is how it happens. And yes, there's comments about the GOP and all this stuff. Like, look, people, if you don't get off your political soapboxes and say, oh, I'm a Democrat, so I'm for this, or I'm a Republican, we're all hosed. If you haven't figured out that the, the political divide and conquer, the Republican and Democrat stuff, is just to keep you infighting over political football ideas like abortion, um, all of these other – like, you know, abortion – let's see, what's another one? Um, equal um, – uh, minimum wage requirements, uh, immigration. These are all political football issues, all political distractions, because it's things that you can galvanize certain people with, the, with their mindset and their ideas and then show them, say, hey, these people don't care about other people because they're not for a tax increase, and they don't want to give half of their money to people that are on welfare. They're evil. Go get them. And then half of the public gets stirred up because they're very empathetic, and they go, oh, yes, you people are evil. And then the other half go, no, 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 these people should actually be working to help improve society. And then if they work, they'll actually be more fulfilled, and they won't sit on their butt all the time, and they'll actually have a better life, and they'll raise everybody's standard of living. And then, no, then the political football ensues. So anyway, getting away from that. And I'll turn it – I might cover the toddler thing here in a second. What time is it? I need a clock. I need a doomsday clock. All right, so anyway, got about half an hour left. This should be able to do it. Okay. Transitioning away from big government, big business. But once again, to just put a capstone on it, and for those of you that understand symbolism, will absolutely laugh when they hear that. A capstone on this whole thing. Mega corporations will use local governments with backroom deals to push things like this. Take, for example, uh, a couple of years ago, um, there was a big push for a super speedway in, um, I think it was Dallas or Austin. I can't remember which city it was, but it's for um, the Formula One. So it's a couple of billion dollar racetrack, and guess what? They passed a referendum to where all the money is funded by the taxpayers. But then all the profits go to the people that actually own the Formula One um, entity itself. So understanding how this works, they get you to pay for all of this stuff, the building, the, you know, the construction, the labor, all of that, and then they take the profits. It's exactly what the Brave Stadium situation is. They're getting the taxpayers to fund almost two to one the amount of money that they're putting in. Once again, they are going to be the recipients of all of the, of all of the revenue, of all of the profits – but then you have to pay for it, much like the private prison system runs now where it's taxpayer-funded to build the system, to build the prisons, and then they staff them with people like Wackenhut and other organizations, other secure, quote-unquote security firms 
and then they take all the profit. It is an absolute atrocity, and we have to be aware of this is how things are working, and this is how they're doing it in order to tout to, once again, like they said in the article, to tout to the people and to the public, no, 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 this is going to create jobs. Yeah, it's going to create jobs for international companies that are going to come in, not for local contractors. This is going to concern you. If you read Confessions of an Economic Hitman, it will explain to you how this stuff works. They go and they fund a big operation like over in Panama, or they fund a big operation in Indonesia to build a power plant. And instead of getting – and and all of the, the government people get bought off, and they're like, okay, this sounds great. You know, We're going to have all this money to build a power plant. And then instead of, instead of giving it to local contractors and local companies to build the power plant, which would build up the economy, which would give people jobs – which would raise the standard of living for these people. They give it to international firms as a stipulation in the contract that it has to go to international firms. The international firms come in, build, 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 take all the profit, and then leave the country. And then you know, 13, 15 years later, the country's in debt because the finances weren't exactly what they were touted as because they got gouged by people like the World Bank. So that's the capstone. Once again, triple reverse flea flicker touchdown. All right. Moving on now. Let's talk about the NSA. Yay! More news coming out today that your government might be keeping your face and then putting it into a database so that they can mine you because you might be a terrorist. No such thing as privacy anymore. That was actually, um, excuse me as I sip my coffee. That was actually something that was being touted at Bilderberg this year. <laughs> that does privacy exist? Well, you guys have um, – if you've heard the show before, you understand that back in 2012 at the Worldwide Hacker Conference that one of the world's biggest hackers got up in front of everyone and understood before all this NSA stuff came out, mainly probably because he understood what was going on with uh, Thomas Draker and um, William Benny and all these other guys that have already blown the whistle on all this stuff that Snowden's leaked, like it's some revelation. And as we covered on the last podcast – Oh, God, what did we say about three, four weeks ago that um, Snowden was going to be a government agent just because of the way everything was panning out? Didn't make sense that he was the one that was the big the big story. Didn't make sense that it was aware in the world as Edward Snowden, like Carmen Sandiego, like trying to plot him out and find him. It was just really hokey pokey or hocus pocus, and, and we went out on a limb and said he's got to be an agent, he's got to be a spy, and it turns out he was a spy, and it was an agent, so whatever, I mean, uh, gaslighting the public, look up that term, everybody, gaslighting the public, that's what they did, they let you know what they're doing to you, and then see how you react, and since nobody reacted, nobody pushed back, they said, okay, we'll just keep rolling with this, they ran a psyop on you, through a probably double agent for the Russian government, but I can't confirm that. But it's really weird that he goes and hides out in Russia, and nobody says anything about that. But anyway, here we go with the article. NSA collecting millions of faces from web images. Yes. If you participate in Facebook, the government has basically everything they need to know about you. And I participate in Facebook because I'm pretty sure that my file is already pretty big over there. So anyway, here we go. And I'm only going to read about half of this because I'm going to digress off into a couple of different um, couple of different sections because I want people to understand where this fake war on terror goes and why it goes there because there's huge contracts involved in this. 
and there's huge contracts involved with you understanding how the world works. Okay. The National Security Agency is harvesting huge numbers of images from communications that are intercepted throughout its global surveillance operations for use of sophisticated recognition programs according to top secret documents. It's not really top secret. That stuff was leaked very long ago. But anyway, the spy agency's reliance on facial recognition technology has grown significantly over the last four years, and the agent has turned to new software to exploit the flood of images, including in emails, text messages, social media, video conferences, and other communications, the NSA documents revealed. Agency officials believe the technology has advanced to revolutionize the way that the NSA finds intelligence targets around the world, the documents show. The agency ambitions of high sensitive ability to scale its efforts and to not have previously been disclosed. The agency intercepts millions of images per day, including 55,000 facial recognition quality images. Yeah, those are higher resolution because they have to get the dimensions of your face and the and the, um, and the width and, and all kinds of different um, parameters of how your face looks for certain data points. <sighs> Which translate into tremendous untapped potential, according to 2011 documents obtained by the former agency contractor Edward J. Snowden. No mention of spy there, but who's counting? While once focused on written and oral communications, the NSA now considers facial recognitions, finger points, and other identifiers just as important to its missions of tracking suspected terrorists, um, a.k.a. people like myself, and other intelligence agencies, and the documents show. Okay. And then they have a picture of um, uh, Abdullah Muttalib, the underwear bomber, um, which I will debunk all of that stuff here in a second. And then the Times Square bomber, which you guys can read some books on him and find out if, hey, let's find out if either of these guys were terrorists or if they were just shills set up by the United States government. I've got an idea which one's right. Okay, so anyway, continuing in the article. It's not just the traditional communications we're after. It's talking a full arsenal approach to the digital exploits of the clues a target leaves behind in regular activities on the net and compile biographic and biometric information that can help implement precise targeting noted in a 2010 document. One NSA PowerPoint presentation from 2011, for example, displays several photographs of an unidentified man, sometimes bearded, otherwise clean-shaven, in different settings, and along with two dozen other data points around him. It includes whether he was a Transportation Security Administration no-fly list, which is actually funny in and of itself because, number one, you don't know how you got on there, and number two, there's no way to get yourself off, so that's a free country as well. Has passport visa status, known associates, and suspected terrorist ties. Well, that's a good one because, oh, man, I'll get into that here in a minute. And the comments made by him and the informants to American intelligence agencies, which almost all of these informants are dirty, and I'm about to play a clip here from the Terror Factory that will let you understand how all of this stuff works. The Terror Factory was written by John Abramson, I believe it was. Um, oh, Trevor Aronson, excuse me. I'm getting my names mixed up. But I'll play a clip from that here in a minute, and that will actually... He uh, did a two-year investigation 
on all of these quote-unquote terrorists and found out that about 90% of them are mouth-breathing morons that were set up by the FBI. But who's counting? you got to keep us safe. It is not clear how many people around the world continuing and how many Americans might still be caught up in the effort. Oh, nah, that means that everybody is. Neither the federal privacy laws nor the national, nation's, nation's surveillance laws provide specific protections on facial images. Oh, isn't that nice? Given the NSA's foreign intelligence mission, a.k.a. to spy on the American people and everybody around the world, which of the much of the imagery would involve people overseas whose data was scooped up through cables, internet, intelligent hubs, and satellite transmissions. Read this sentence again and understand the wording. Given the NSA's foreign intelligence mission, comma, much of the imagery, not all, but much, much of it would improve the peoples overseas whose data is scooped up through cable, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so what does that mean? Um, they're spying on you, and they're taking your picture. That's what all those cameras are for, everybody, for facial recognition. It's okay. It's okay. We're all, I'm, I'm spying on too, man. So we're all in the club together. Isn't it fun? It's fun to be in the club. Can't wait. All right, continuing. Because the agency considers the images a form of communications content, the NSA would be required to get court approval from for imagery of Americans collected through its surveillance programs. Oh, through the FISA court, which has already been a rubber stamp, and that's already been proven in Congress and proven through all these leaks, that they just go and say, hey, this guy might be associated with somebody that might be associated with somebody that maybe has a brother that could be a terrorist. Oh, yes, absolutely spy on him. Cross-border communications in which Americans might be emailing, texting the images from somewhere, targeting by agencies overseas could be expected. So if you got a buddy that lives overseas and he texts you an image of him, takes a selfie of himself in front of the Eiffel Tower, your buddy's in a database. Good job. Okay, so now comes the fun part. Civil liberties advocates and other critics are concerned with the power of improving technology used by the government and industry, at least they say and industry because this is where the big deal is, could erode privacy. Hmm, really. Facial recognition can be very invasive, says Alessandro Aquesi, the researcher on facial recognition technology at Carnegie Mellon University. There are still technical limitations on it. The computing power keeps growing and growing, and databases keep growing and growing, and the algorithms keep improving. State and local law enforcement agencies are relying on a wide range of databases of facial recognition, including driver's licenses, Facebook, and to identify suspects. Yeah, not to track and trace you because we're all suspects. Remember that, people. You don't have any privacy. Yes, you are all suspects. Guilty until proven innocent. Our nation has officially been flipped on its head. The FBI is developing what it calls next-generation identification, which will probably, yeah, here it comes, project to combine automated fingerprint identification system with facial recognition and other biometric data. Oh, man, is this going to be fun. Please, people, can we not go here? Can we not all turn into numbers with scan cards and, you know, biometric? Oh, my God. Can we please just not go there as a society? Do we really need this? All right. Anyway. Oh, but it's to keep us safe. I forgot. Daddy government keeping us safe. So ridiculous. 
And I'm just going to finish two more paragraphs, and we're going to get into this stuff. The State Department has had several outside experts say that it could be the largest facial recognition database in the federal government, storing hundreds of millions of photos of American passport holders, foreign visa applicants. And the Department of Homeland Security is funding pilot projects at police departments around the country to match suspects against faces in the crowd. Yeah. Remember, those cameras aren't for you guys. They're just for, you know, license plates and, you know, tracking traffic and stuff. It's not, no. It's not for tracking you everywhere you go and, you know, selling it to large corporations so they can target market you and, come on. That would be a conspiracy. Actually, that would be a really big conspiracy, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a huge conspiracy to have you tracked and traced wherever you go on the web, out of your car, in your car, wherever, so that you can sell it to giant corporations so they could target market you, offer you special quote-unquote deals, like what happens to your cookies on the side of your browser when you're going to different websites, and then you come back and say, wow, that's kind of funny. I do need diapers. How did they know? Hmm. 1996 Telecommunications Act, people. They started doing this stuff a long time ago, and now they're getting really, really good at it. And the intelligence apparatus of the NSA is ginormous. It's actually about three times the size of the CIA. So, oh, we're in good hands, though. They're keeping us safe from the terrorists that they create. It's great. The NSA, though, is uniquely in its ability to match images through troves of private communications. We would not be doing our job, once again, this is like Amspruch of what the Nazis used to do. Well, my job is just to drive the trains, and i got to do my job, so there you go. We'd not be doing our job if we didn't seek ways to continuously approve the precision of signals of intelligence activities aimed to counter the efforts of valid foreign intelligence targets to disguise themselves and conceal plans to harm the United States and its allies. Okay. Pop quiz, everybody. When's the last time the United States was attacked by a terrorist that wasn't manufactured or didn't have some kind of CIA tie somewhere? If you said the Boston bombing, you lose because they were attached to the CIA. And one of the buddies that um, just happened to be living with him said, hey, the FBI is coming to, um, they're coming to question me. I think they're going to kill me. And yeah, they shot him in the back of the head because they said he resisted. Don't worry about that because then that means that the government would actually be evil and it would be kind of scary and it's much easier just to think it's just nice people doing this. Much easier. Okay, so once again, it was a, um, excuse me, Vaney, Vinay Vines, the agency spokesperson. Oh, you're the spokesperson for the spy grid. Awesome. She added that the NSA could not have access to the photographs in state databases of driver's license. Oh, did not have access to photographs in state databases of driver's license to the passports of photos of Americans. While declining to say whether the agency had access to the State Department database of photos of foreign visa applicants. She also declined to say whether the NSA collected facial recognition imagery of Americans from Facebook. Yeah, Facebook's a total front, people. It's a total CIA front. And the social media that means, excuse me, and through other social media means and other communications intercepts. Yes, everything is monitored. Everything is taken. You're totally spied upon. You have no privacy. Sorry to burst your bubble on Sunday morning. But that's where we're at. And if you want it, you got to fight for it. But we don't want it, so we don't fight. So we just sit down and just get steamrolled. And this is the last little paragraph because this is the most important. 
The government and private sector are both investing billions of dollars into facial recognition. Yes, because it is a global plan to enslave everybody. Once they collapse the economy, it will be all kinds of fun. Research and development, and they're not going to do it right away. Just I'll, I'll break all that down here in a second. Research and development, Jennifer Lynch, a lawyer and expert on facial recognition and privacy from the EFF. And the EFF is the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which I would go visit their website and get yourself an encrypted Google login because that's fun too. Make it harder for these people to track and trace you. So uh, go to the EFF, everyone, and um, get your encrypted Google, and at least you'll have one layer of defense against these guys. The government leads the way into developing huge facial recognition databases, while the private sector leads in accurately identifying people under the challenging conditions. Gee, I wonder why that is. Because they want your data. They want to know everything about you. They want to know your purchasing habits, where you shop, why you shop there. Because then, if they can do that, you know, uh, Amazon announced, I think it was like a month ago, that they can, with like 95% accuracy or something like that, predict what you're going to buy next. And they can have it boxed up and shipped, just because of the way you hover your mouse, boxed up and shipped to you, or on its way to be shipped to you before you even order it. Welcome to the new millennium, people. We're not in Kansas anymore. It's almost 2015. Think about that for a minute. So anyway, um, I'll put the um, I'm gonna make make a note to put show notes up about this so everybody can read this article. I think it's on Drudge or something like that as well. Oh man, 14 minutes. Oh Lord, have mercy. All right, so here's what we're gonna go through. Okay, number one, the FBI runs about 85% of the terrorists. Let's just cut to the chase. And how do you know this, Jake? Well, once again, because a gentleman by the name of Trevor Aronson wrote a book called The Terror Factory Inside the FBI's Manufactured War on Terror. What he did was filed a bunch of Freedom of Information Act requests, went and researched all of these quote-unquote terrorists that were stopped in these horrible bomb plots, horrible plots to do whatever, and found out that, yeah, about nine out of ten times that the government's probably helping this thing along. And not just nudging the people – like giving them the bomb, giving them the money, um, making con- first contact with these people, coercing them into doing these things, and then right before they do it, they go, ha, gotcha. It's kind of like the South Park episode where um, – all right, it's really, really grotesque, but the South Park episode, I think it's the one where it's the, um, it's the royal wedding. So if you guys want to go watch that – and it shows the cop and trapping these people for prostitution, and that's basically how it works, but on a grander scale. So let's talk about this briefly as I play a clip from the, the audiobook, and I think that this is in Chapter 2, and I'm giving him just due because this is absolutely fantastic. So here we go. Hopefully you guys will be able to hear this. The astute work of the FBI, the diabolical plans of a would-be al-Qaeda sympathizer were uncovered, Pennsylvania U.S. Attorney Thomas A. Marino said in a statement following Reynolds' conviction. Individuals such as Reynolds represent a threat to our safety. I commend the FBI and everyone involved in the prosecution of this case for bringing him to justice. Despite his conviction, was Reynolds a dangerous terrorist? The answer is no. He was a troubled man unlikely to escape the fringes of society. He talked big and had a history of doing stupid things. He was unemployed, broke, and living with his mother at middle age. 
a caricature of the all-American loser. But an informant posing as an Al-Qaeda operative offered him more money than he had ever seen at one time in his entire life. And overnight, he became a threat to our safety. For years, as an investigative reporter with newspapers, I couldn't help but notice how the U.S. government was putting forward to the public people who seemed to have become terrorists only as a result of the prodding and inducements of FBI informants and undercover agents. In most of these cases, the defendants appeared to be sad sacks, like Michael Curtis Reynolds, individuals with no capacity to do any significant harm if left to their own devices. And it was FBI informants who provided the ideas, the means, and the opportunities for horrific plots involving the bombings of government buildings and office towers, synagogues, and public transit systems. Curious, I began pulling court records about these cases and documenting which ones involved defendants who, like Reynolds, had no actual contacts with terrorist organizations and were lured into their plots by FBI informants. A provocative question underpinned my research. How many so-called terrorists prosecuted in U.S. courts since 9-11 were real terrorists? I wanted to do a systematic analysis of all terrorism cases since September 11, 2001, to answer this question. But I hit an early roadblock. While the U.S. Department of Justice tracked terrorism prosecutions internally, this data was not made public. I needed to know exactly which cases the Justice Department considered terrorism-related, and so I needed this internal data, which was impossible to obtain without someone leaking it from the inside. Ironically, it was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the Kuwaiti-born mastermind of the 9-11 attacks, who was responsible for my lucky break. After his capture in Pakistan in 2003, Mohammed had been sent to the U.S. detention facility at Guantanamo Bay Naval Base in Cuba. In November 2009, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder decided that the Justice Department would prosecute Mohammed and four others involved in planning the 9-11 attacks at the U.S. District Court in Manhattan. Citing concerns about public safety and the handling of potentially classified information during a trial that would be open to the public, Congress questioned the wisdom of putting the 9-11 mastermind on trial on U.S. soil. Holder appeared before Congress in March 2010 to assure the public that the Justice Department was not only capable of providing a secure and fair setting for the trial, but also was well accomplished in prosecuting terrorists. To prove the latter, the Attorney General provided a document containing nearly nine years' worth of the very data I needed. A list of about 400 people whom the Justice Department had prosecuted in the United States since 9-11 and considered terrorists. The document explained clearly, and for the first time publicly, how the Justice Department determined whether a particular defendant was a terrorist. The government segregated terrorism offenses into two categories. Category 1 included the kind of offenses you would typically associate with terrorism, such as aircraft sabotage, hostage-taking, and providing material support to terrorists. Category 2 offenses could be any federal crime in the United States, including lower-level felony offenses such as immigration violation or lying to an FBI agent committed by someone who had a link, however oblique, to international terrorism. Hmm. For the first time, I had a government data set that could form the basis of a systematic analysis of terrorism prosecutions since 
and a formula to use in determining whether future cases fit the Justice Department's terrorism criteria. How many of the defendants posed actual threats based on the evidence? How many of the prosecutions involved FBI sting operations using informants? How many of those informants played such an active role in the investigation that they reasonably could be described as agents provocateurs? Oh. Those were just some of the questions I wanted to answer. And the data Attorney General Holder and the Justice Department provided represented only the beginning. For every case, I would need to pour over hundreds, if not thousands, of pages of court records to answer those questions. I would also need to add and analyze defendants whose cases met the Justice Department's criteria for terrorism, but were announced after Holder released his document in March 2010. The cost of and time needed for this type of investigation seemed staggering, and I had about as much capacity to do it on my own as Michael Curtis Reynolds had on his own of bombing the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. While I had some early research funding from the Carnegie Legal Reporting Fellowship at Syracuse... Okay, so um, I can't play the whole clip, but it goes on to talk about... Um... The federal government has a 98% conviction rate when it comes to terrorism cases, mainly because they set these people up, just like he talks about. Most of them are nobodies. Most of them have no idea what freaking planet they're on and could much less cook up a bomb or mastermind a scheme. Does that mean that there aren't real terrorists out there? No. That does not mean that there aren't real terrorists out there. But the perception to the public is what we're really looking at here. Are these guys really perceived threats? Are they really threats for us? And the answer to that question is basically no, they're not. So why all this hoopla? Why all the, the dog and pony show? Why all of it? Because there's billions of dollars, people, billions of dollars at stake and billions of government contracts, no bid contracts. So they have to have a reason. You have to have a reason to have these people on the payroll. You have to have a reason for all of these things. And yes, I, I'm not bashing the agencies specifically. I'm just calling your attention to the reality of the situation. And the reality of the situation is the majority of these people that run operations here in America, terrorist operations, and then we go applaud and say, yay, good job, we caught the terrorists. It's all smoke and mirrors. Welcome to the world. And if you didn't want to go there, then this morning, I hope you had your coffee and your seatbelt on because this was a crash course in reality on how everything works from the global geopolitics to the manufactured war on terror. Now, here I'm going to play, since we got about five minutes left, I'm going to play a clip. This is, um, this is Haskell's reaccount, Kurt Haskell, who was an attorney, by the way, so he understands uh, he's a community uh, attorney and a lawyer. Um, and a community, he's an attorney and a community leader, so he understands the ramification of lying under oath, and he testified that the underwear bomber, Kalik, or whatever the heck the guy's name was, I can't even remember now, I'll go over it, <laughs> was, um, was basically helped on the plane by an agency of the government, uh, was given the bomb, and then tried to light a shoe bomb, which was C4, which anybody that knows anything about explosives, you can't do that. And then they grab him and say, oh, my God, we've got to stick our hands in your pants now because there's a guy with a shoe bomb. So here, here we go. And um, enjoy, everybody, and then I'll be back on the backside in the show. Um, once again, thank you so much for listening if you're listening live. If you want to 
share this broadcast with people. Please do. Um, please at least share it with one person that you think might be willing to accept the information. The open-minded person in your group, the person that you have deep philosophical conversations about, that's probably the people we're targeting because a lot of other people don't want to hear this because then once again, as soon as you know things like this, then you have to do something with it. You have to tell people about it. You have to research it for yourself. And that is the one thing that I would tell you is that do not, please God, do not take my word of advice for it. Take my understanding for it. Do your own research and make your own intellect swell. Because once you have that, then you can see through the trivium and other methodologies the lies that are being pushed to you with declarative statements and how it all works and how psyops work. Because right now we are under a big psyop, and that's just the way it is. So here we go. Kurt Haskell blowing the whistle on the underwear bomber and the local news covering it. Here we go. Today's scare comes as the man known as the underwear bomber appears in federal court in Detroit. Umar Farouk Abdul-Matalab is accused of trying to blow up a plane over Detroit on Christmas Day 2009. Fox News' Amy Lang has more from outside federal court, where a trial date has now been set. Amy. Yes, a trial date has been set, but it was actually more interesting to hear from a couple of the passengers who showed up here at court today who have a very interesting theory about what really happened. Oh, they have a theory, but wait, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, so time. Propaganda right there. They have an interesting theory about what happened. Yet they were the eyewitnesses. Remember, we went from a country where the media ask all the questions to the media having all the answers. This is a low-end PSYOP, and they don't even realize they're doing a PSYOP. They're just like, well, just spin it. Just spin it. That's a PSYOP. Anyway. That's government escorting him through security without a pass. Okay, so i got to rewind it. So here we go. All right, so here we go. Sorry about that, everybody. I had to jump in because you have to understand these declarative statements when they happen and just know that it's BS. And call it. The U.S. government escorted him through security without a passport, and we believe gave him an intentionally defective bomb. It's a startling allegation from two local attorneys who were on board the 2009 Christmas Day flight to Detroit when Umar Farouk Abdul-Mutalib tried to blow up a bomb hidden in his underwear. Kurt and Lori Haskell think the U.S. government was behind the whole thing. It was intentional, and it went this far to further the war on terror to get body scanners in the airports. Uh, to increase the TSA's budget. 90 seconds. The Haskell say in Amsterdam before boarding the flight to Detroit, they witnessed Abdul Mutalib arguing with a ticket agent at the gate because he didn't have a passport when a man in a tan suit with an American accent intervened. The ticket agent did not want to allow Mutalib on the flight, and this man was very insistent of it. And then she referred them to a manager down the hallway. They next saw Abdul Mutalib on board the plane when they saw fire and people screaming. Abdul Mutalib has insisted on representing himself in this case October 4th and could include up to 400 witnesses. It's a very, like I said, very serious case with a lot of potential, a lot of evidence that has to be reviewed and a lot of witnesses which must be interviewed in order to properly prepare the case. That's Abdul Mutalib's standby attorney, Anthony Chambers, although the judge has urged Abdul Mutalib to have Chambers represent him. So far, he's refused. Okay, so there you go, everybody. All right, so that's it for the show, everyone. Uh, if you're listening live, I'm going to cover this. Um, I'm going to break it down for another two minutes on the backside so you guys can... Uh, can listen to the rebroadcast version. Once again, thank you for listening. Once again, share the show with people you know, people you love, people you like, because we have to get into the realm of reality if we're going to have conversations about how we want our culture and society to progress. So 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, once again, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And check out the end of this podcast uh, through the website, wearenotcattle.net. And um, enjoy your Sunday. Thanks. All right, so now to break down this really quickly. Okay. The body scanners were actually stationed ready to be deployed before all this stuff happens. So what does that mean? And you need to look into that as well because that's another that's another piece of this whole pie is that they already had these body scanners up and running and the order was already placed. And so you you set up and you stage this event. Why? Because you've got a big contract looming or you have somebody that's going to benefit. If you follow the money, then you find out who's going to benefit. And so Chertoff was the guy that was going to benefit from all of this. So what happens is they put the underwear bomber on the plane. They say, oh, my God, he's a terrorist. He's going to blow up planes. He stuck something in his pants. We've got to hide away because the American people won't buy us sticking our hands down their pants right away because that's a complete invasion of privacy, and that's just jumping the shark. So we have to do something else. What can we do? Oh, we can do a body scanner. So we'll do that, and that'll, you know, that'll make them feel safe, and we can also make tons of money on it. So what do they do? They put the guy on the plane, He's all, and Haskell goes on to talk about how he looked like he was drugged, which wouldn't, wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility of him being drugged. Once again, this is the real world. This is not science fiction. You actually do live in a science fiction movie. But the people on the, the magic box tell you that reality is just very, very simple and that you don't need to really worry about double agents, triple agents, you know, how the government really works and running terrorists and, and, and you know, running psyops on the American people and all that stuff's been declassified um, umpteen times over. If you just go and dig and dig and dig and dig, you'll find out all these things and you'll just look at your world and go, holy crap, I was completely deceived. And it's up to you whether you want to go that way. If you don't, I can completely understand because once you start looking into this stuff, it gets kind of scary and it gets kind of um, daunting and, and it'll, it'll make you depressed. I got depressed for like a month or so because it's just sad. It's sad to have your ego shattered. It's sad to have your, your worldview shattered and the fact that you believe that some of these people or most of these people are in it for the best interest because you can't imagine doing something like this to where you would just do it for profit. But some people do, and that's something that you're just going to have to understand and get over and, and move through. So – once again, they have the scanners on standby. They get the guy on the plane. They roll out the scanners, make billions of dollars, and then you get to go through a body scanner, which actually radiates you and gives you cancer, but that's okay. So remember, people, you can opt out of the scanners. Get your pat down. It's not a lot of fun. Talk to the people the whole time like I did when I got my pat downs, both coming and going from Mexico, and um, just said, hey, is this really the way that you think that a free country operates? Is this how you want your children to grow up? It's having some random stranger with rubber gloves that have probably been used 15 times over stick their hands in, in their waistband. And by the way, that was the most violated I've ever felt in my life. Then um, just put the, put the idea in their head. And they're not going to quit their job, but at least let them have some, some internal dialogue within their organization about, um, hey, is this really right? Do we really need this? So that's it for the show, everyone. Um, check me out on Thursday night, 9 o'clock. Once again, get a friend, get informed, get involved, and um, start, start researching for yourself. Develop your own ideas, your own, um, I guess, your own worldview. That would be the one thing that I want you to get out of the show is that we don't all have to have the same worldview. We just all have to, to come to grips with the fact that the story that we're being told through the mainstream media and other outlets is not reality. 
And in order for us to face reality and to move this society forward and to move our species forward, we have to know the truth and only the truth because then we can actually make changes for the future and we can make the correct um, adjustments to propel humanity to the stars. I would love to go to the stars. I'd love to have a space colony. That would be awesome. But we can't do it because they keep suppressing technology with what they did with um, people like Tesla. So we just need to be aware, be more involved, and um, that's it, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. See you guys on Thursday. Take care.